computer. This is data. I'm an android. I'm a basketball. I was processing all of the information. Processing. One of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. of the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. I am your host for the day, Tim. You know me as Cranjus Basketball on Twitter. And today we are digging into the last couple of things we've seen from the Lakers before we're going to see some real basketball. And that is their media day, which happened just the other day. And then uh, we also got a couple comments from Frank Vogel after the Lakers' first team practice. And, f- you know, me as an X's and O's guy looking for real substance in media day. There was some of that. There was a lot that wasn't as much that. But from that first practice, we got a couple sound bites that, you know, have my mind going in different directions and just wanted to let you know what we're thinking until, uh, you know, Tom and I get back together and we start digging into the season. We've got a lot of fun stuff planned for the podcast, for the Discord. But this will be really our last, I guess, off-season podcast. Or this is really the transition into this new year. Uh, even with it being like, what, less than 12 months from the last Lakers championship, two seasons ago, um, this timeline's screwing me up big time, but we're here, and, well, I guess I'm here for today, Uh, and so, media day, Lakers had their own, you know, 29 other teams had their media day the day before the Lakers media day, which just feeds into our Lakers exceptionalism, we deserve our own, everybody knows it, look at this this star-studded team, we know what this team's capable of, and uh, there's no better way to do it than to have the entire timeline on Twitter filled with Lakers stuff in a day. And I tried to catch as much as I could during the day. I was listening to it on my laptop throughout, you know, I think 90% of the interviews. And then I went back, rewatched some, caught up on what I missed. And from that, I, I have a number of takeaways I want to talk about. And for me, the way I was going into that media day, I was looking for really three key things. The first, I guess, topic is I was really looking for like substantive questions and answers that will hint at the team style of play or specifics around roles or lineups or positions or maybe scheme, but the team hadn't really practiced together with the coaching staff. So I doubt we were really going to get much of like, hey, we're going to run this action or like this is the, the screen coverage we might run. Now, you could certainly ask about those things. And I know we've been uh proposing ideas or, or expecting certain things defensively for weeks now for months uh, since this team's been put together for free agency so I imagine the coaching staff has some ideas as well uh, I wish we could have gotten more questions around like hey what's your current state of mind when it comes to how this year's team defense will differ from last year's you know the talent's different but you know stylistically or schematically, is are you going to switch more? Are we going to see more of the drop coverage like we saw two years ago versus more, more aggressive screen coverages? Stuff like that. Didn't quite get as much of that, but you know that's one category of questions. The second thing is trying to really glean more about the Lakers' internal ecosystem and the relationships that guys have. Liking your teammates is important. Liking your coworkers is important. And this was our real first chance to see how that looks other than like pulling up old video clips of, of guys, you know, shouting each other out or giving each other high fives or things like that. Uh, getting a sense for how they like each other is important. 
And especially for a team with a lot of turnover, that's probably going to see a lot of role changes, scheme changes, all these different things. It'll be important from a change management standpoint uh, for there to be strong, you know, internal stakeholders like LeBron and AD and bringing in Fizdale, guys that we know can get, you know, the respect of some of the players around them, hopefully, and, and get them on board with things. But then also players amongst themselves having that trust and that rapport uh, just so that if they need to hold each other accountable, they're able to do so without really damaging those relationships. Like, you know, we talk about it, and I heard a great video clip of the Duke women's basketball coach talking about how, you know, we're, our team is a family. And, we, and what does that mean? Our family doesn't mean we get along every day and we hold hands and we skip around to a championship. A family means like you get along off the court and, and you, you know, enjoy being together and, and spending that time together and having that quality time. But when it's time to go to work, being a family means that you can have some conflict and you can work through it and you know you have that backbone that you've built through those relationships where you can hold each other accountable and, and you can disagree on things and you can work through it rather than making it a me versus you thing that really damages your relationship and you know lowers trust. Having that family allows you to you know, drive more accountability. And that is what I was trying to see with how these guys were talking about each other um, with things like, you know, as soon as Russ was announced to the Lakers, him giving Trevor Ariza a call or hearing about like LeBron and Russell Westbrook being attached at the hip was a phrase that we used, things like that. I think the third topic and, you know, a lesser one and one that I'm hoping doesn't need to have too much coverage, but, you know, should be asked about and should get some coverage is the team's COVID situation. Everybody has their, all these players have their own opinions, and uh, it sounds as though the team is not 100% fully vaccinated right now, but they either have fully vaccinated players or guys who have had their first shot. So the team looks like they'll be on track to be fully vaccinated, and you know, within our everyday lives, there are certainly things we can do that are more or less risky, whether you're vaccinated or unvaccinated, but getting that vaccine is one real quick and easy way to severely lower the risk to you and those around you. So this, from a team standpoint for the Lakers, and as someone who's rooting for the Lakers, makes me feel better about the team because I know because of this situation, there's a good chance that they have a lot of guys available for, for most games because of their, you know, due to getting the vaccine and lowered risk for COVID and different uh, restrictions on the players because they are vaccinated. So I think it'll help the team's success. I think it'll help the team's cohesion, being able to be together and not have individual guys like stuck away from the team, not being able to attend certain things. So that was encouraging to me. And I'll dig into some of those things later. And then I guess I said there were three keys. The fourth one is just you don't want to say anything stupid. You, you, you can't, you don't want to, like, you can't really win games from a press conference, but you can certainly create distractions from, like, profoundly dumb answers. Uh, I don't think we saw any of that. There were certainly things, uh, speci specifically with COVID responses, that have ended up getting, you know, thrown into the spin zone by folks on different sides and political figures. And so that is probably something that will end up getting some follow-up from reporters to Lakers players for clarification or where they stand on things. So uh, a very, very slight L there um, from a team standpoint, you know, from a hey public safety standpoint, you want these guys advocating for the things that, uh, you know, are in the best interest of public health. Um, but other than that, I, I didn't really hear, I mean, maybe I missed stuff, but I didn't really hear anything that like I think is going to be a distraction for this team. Um, 
so now digging into these from a substance standpoint, as much as I enjoy and as much as we, as, as we all get entertainment from like guys getting asked about, you know, how they know each other or uh, how they're looking at being called old as a team or I don't know, asking, you know, what's your diet and regimen to stay in shape, things like that. Th- that's entertaining. Those are good questions to ask. They don't tell us anything about how the Lakers might play. And as of that point, the team, you know, they had done their Vegas little mini camp, but that wasn't run by the coaches. They weren't putting in a playbook. That is stuff. They're not putting in defensive principles. That's stuff that the team is doing now and will be doing for the next couple of weeks. But at that point, it was less about specific X's and O's, but more about like themes or, or around the style of play or lineup ideas or player positions or roles. Uh, Frank Vogel asked about lineup ideas. He shared, I think what we've been kind of talking about is like, there are very few combinations of guys you can put together with this uh, roster where it, like you don't feel pretty good. Like I, I think compared to other years, I have less uh, pointed lineup and starting lineup thoughts just because there are, I think there are a bunch of different ways this could work. Um, so lots of good options. And then also how the team ends up playing is really important. I can advocate for a specific thing, but then if the team doesn't run the the right, you know, style with that group or they're using guys in the wrong roles or whatever, you're not going to see the results you're hoping to see. So we'll have to see how the team uses everyone. But from a lineup standpoint, I think Frank Vogel's on the same page as us in thinking that this team has a lot of good options. From a theme standpoint, we heard comments around playing up tempo, moving the ball. Uh, we heard Frank Vogel when asked about the team's defense. I think this was really interesting. His his uh, comments to me came off as less confident than in prior years. He acknowledged that the team lost certain specific key perimeter rotation players, uh, key defenders, and when he talked about how good the team could be, it was more of I think than I know, and uh, it's more than like I don't know. It, it, we're gonna see what this team can be. I think there's certainly a range of outcomes. This is going to be a great test for Vogel and his staff and their strengths at, at getting a lot out of players defensively. I think there's room to improve and optimize roles and, and X's and O's and all that. We've talked about it on previous pods, but when it came down to this press conference, it was less like, you know, we're going to play Lakers basketball. We're going to be a top defensive team. It was a lot more like, hey, you know, we'll figure it out is, is how it sounded, how it came off to me. So I have high hopes. I'm hoping the team can get things together. I do think there are like legitimate defensive uh, vulnerabilities or weaknesses with certain guys um, and specific areas, whether it be rotations or technique. Some of it is effort. A lot of it's not effort. You know, sometimes we dumb down defense to just saying, you know, if you're fast and you can jump high, or even if you're not fast and you can't jump high, but you you want to try, you can be good. And this, I think, is a little bit misconstrued from reality. You, you're not going to have a good defense without players doing what they're supposed to do without exerting that effort. But it's not a matter of, like you can't say every basketball game in the world, in the NBA, in college, all these things. It's just a matter of which, you know, whether you're trying or not. We, we should know better than to think that guys just aren't trying. And that's why one defense is better than another. The defensive efficiency leaderboard isn't a ranking of who's trying the hardest. Like I've played on teams, I've coached teams, I've been on staff for teams, I've consulted with teams that have a lot of defensive fire and they want to win and they're trying and they've got a ton of effort. Some of them are awesome defensively. Some weren't. Uh, you can be really good or you can't be good with, with by being lazy, but 
being, you know, exerting effort isn't the only ingredient. And and some of those teams didn't have the processing speed or, or defensive IQ to execute well. Some had crappy tactics. Some had poor role assignments. Some just physically didn't have strong defenders um, or, or, or capable defenders. But even if you're capable and you're trying hard, if you're not, you know, organized and you're not in the right place at the right time from like an IQ and processing st- speed standpoint, you can not be great defensively. So there are areas that I think Vogel can get more out of the team and more out of individual players and he can get some guys to try harder, but some of it is going to come down to, you know, knowing and, and processing and moving without having missteps like that route efficiency they talk about in in baseball defensively if you're an outfielder and the ball gets hit you don't want to run in the wrong direction and then have to correct yourself and then get to the ball you want to go right to where you need to be get in position have plenty of time and then catch it that route efficiency defensively in the nba is important because one or two steps in the wrong direction can be the difference between an open three and a contested three so those sorts of things really matter and I mean, there were players on this team last year that are also on the team this year, or there are guys that are on the team this year that weren't on the team last year who were weak in these areas. So hopefully we see some growth. Hopefully we see the team make the most of what they have. It's not just an effort thing. Um, we certainly have capable guys. There will be guys, like, I mean, Ariza's going to get beat by speed. DeAndre Jordan's going to get beat by speed. Like, there are certain guys that certain things are going to, you know, be tr- troublesome for them. LeBron, we saw him beat by speed in the playoffs. Like, but if they are, from an execution IQ standpoint, in the right places, they'll be able to cover for each other when mistakes are made, which will happen. And we can see this defense be good. So I'm hopeful. Uh, I, I don't want to pretend that it's all going to be perfect from the start or at the end. And just in general, I don't think we should pretend that, you know, if, if it's not looking good in the beginning, oh, it's just because you're wrong. It actually is good. It's No, it's the team's growing. They're going to grow from day one to day two to day 10 to day 100. So we should embrace that, recognize it's not going to be perfect from the start, which is something Vogel said, and uh, it's something LeBron said, and, and really lean into that growth and, and identify and recognize that process. So I'm hopeful there, uh, but those defensive comments, I think, were substance. We heard Vogel talk about, and, and AD talk about, him playing more at the center position. So my guess is he's going to start and close games at the five. If he does that and still only plays like 20% of his minutes at center, he's going to fool a lot of people and we're not going to hear about it talked about as much. But in reality, it's not about starting and finishing. It's about overall, like all 48 minutes matter. What percentage, what number of minutes are you playing at the five? That's what matters. This past season, he played 10% of his minutes at center, which was the which was a career low for him by 26%. That's crazy. That's so bad, 10%. Um, if he gets back to the 40% he played in the regular season for 2019-2020 on the title team, which uh, was what Vogel referenced at Media Day, we're still seeing him play less center than he played for any of his past four seasons with the Pelicans. He's played way less center with the Lakers, even on the title team, in the regular season and in the playoffs, than he did as a Pel. Um, his last season with the Pelicans, the year that you know people are like, oh, he's not trying and all this. He played 1,900 minutes. And he played 96% of those minutes at center. That's nearly two and a half times as much as he did his first year with the Lakers. And like nine times as much as he did this past season. So pretty much no matter what, he'll be playing more center. But just how much he plays there is going to be the key. So what we heard at Media Day, while there's some substance, they left it vague enough that we don't know exactly what this is going to mean. And referencing the 2019-2020 season makes me still think it's not going to be 
the 50 to 60% in the regular season that I would prefer personally. Um, in the playoffs, I'd love to see 80%. We'll, we'll see what it ends up looking like, but that's something to track. And it's also a tricky subject given how results-driven perspectives on it end up being. Like, no matter what percentage it is, if the team's if, if he goes into the playoffs healthy and the team wins the title, nobody cares. If he's not healthy and he wasn't playing a high percentage of minutes there, it's not an issue. But if he was not healthy and he was playing a high percentage of minutes at the five, then it's something to, to blame, even if it didn't actually have to do with this injury. Like this past season, um, he, he wasn't injured playing center, um, in, uh, you know, but he didn't play center all that much in the regular season. So it wasn't, you know, the, the cause and effect there. But you see some people using it that way. So the seeding, maybe it matters, maybe it doesn't matter. Like so many of these outcomes uh, or process elements don't matter to people unless the end result is bad. And then it becomes a talking point. So I think we have to talk purely from a process standpoint. That's really the best way to approach this. Given this roster, again, I'm thinking 50 to 60% in the regular season, his minutes at the five, 80% in the playoffs is what I would want. What we're actually going to get, I think is probably going to be closer to 40% and then like 60% or 70% um, from regular season to playoffs. So I, I don't know. We'll see. I'm hoping for more usage in line with what he was used with in uh, New Orleans with the Pelicans rather than with the Lakers because that's closer to what he's been, what, what we've been wanting him to be, even though even in those years, people wanted more from him as a center. From a role standpoint, uh, with the comments at Media Day, I think we heard uh, Malik Monk. He talked about you know his role in, in focusing on being a spacer and focusing on his catch-and-shoot three-point game, not as much as a ball handler. This is good. This is music to my ears. This is how the Lakers make more of him than he was uh, made of in his previous stop. So that's a positive to me. It's good that he can also ball handle a little. It's good that you know maybe he can iso a little or maybe he can run pick and roll. He wasn't great at those things. Um, and that was part of why his impact was lower than it could be. So this to me is the Lakers using him in a role that makes the most sense for him and his skill set and for this team and the skill sets around him. So that's encouraging. We heard uh, Wayne Ellington talk about potentially not being used as much off screens, uh, which I wouldn't be surprised by, would kind of fall in line with what we've seen from Frank Vogel's teams in the past. Uh, that is going to make Ellington less impactful offensively. But if he's just like a movement shooter, a stationary shooter, lineup to lineup, you're going to have more continuity, I think, going from maybe like Ellington to Monk or Ellington to Bazemore um, or Ellington to Nunn, potentially, if he's used more as a shooter than a ball handler. Like these are all, you know, lineup to lineup. It's just kind of plug and play if you're using them in similar ways. If Ellington's an off-screen guy, but he's the only off-screen guy, you have like a side playbook for him and for nobody else which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Like you want to make the most of him, um, but maybe they're just trying to keep things simple, at least for now. So from a substance standpoint, that was really it. Uh, when we get to the, you know, relationships and ecosystem piece of things, I talked about why this is important, you know, being able to trust each other and, and be brutally honest with each other for this team specifically. I think this is important. Like we've seen the graphics and the stats of the massive on-court accomplishments from this particular set of players, either in the recent past or even, you know, earlier in their careers. But this also outlines how many dudes we're going to need buying into roles. And that's, that's key. It's not one guy. We need to take a different role. It's Russ. We need you to, you know, be, take some smarter shots and defer when, when you don't have something we need, 
Kendrick Nunn and Malik Monk to probably be doing less than they did in the past from a self-creation standpoint and, and be more finishers, be more, you know, beat a closeout or hit an open three rather than create the advantage. Um, we're going to need Carmelo Anthony to play more role player, uh, more of a role player type of role and, and be more of an offensive contributor because we've seen even in the, the recent past, like he was knocking down threes left and right from a percentage standpoint, but if he and his tendencies aren't where they need to be, that lowers his offensive impact. And on this team, we can lean more into him being a role player. So those types of changes will be important in having that trust, growing the cohesion, being able to trust each other and, and be brutally honest with each other is important to, to help enable those changes and not cause fractures within the locker room. So hearing about Braun and Russ being attached to the hip was very encouraging. Malik Monk and Kendrick Nunn were saying all the right things about you know their new roles and spacing the floor and playing, playing what they need to play uh, offensively to help the team. That's great. We can't know guys will buy into their roles um, just from what they say at media day. Maybe they'll say all the right things just because they know they should say the right things. But we're looking really for red flag answers. If it's like, you know, if somebody's saying the wrong things, that's going to stand out. If they're saying the right things, maybe they'll do the right things. Maybe they won't. But if they're saying the wrong things, that's that's certainly that stands out. And we, I don't believe, saw that from this Lakers media day. So that was, you know, a check from me. The last thing with this I want to cover is we heard LeBron and Russ talk about embracing the process of a season, how things won't be ramped up from day one, and how both of them really loved the work and, and the details of you know, improving their game and building that team. And we heard Rondo talk about the blueprint that LeBron has and really working from the, the beginning of, of the year to the end of the year and the different stages a team can have and how you really refine things and build that identity and all of those things and, and really embracing the details. We'll see this on the court and on the pod. We'll do what we can to pinpoint that growth. Again, like these guys aren't going to be their final version from from day one or week one or month one. So we're going to recognize and and be honest when we see things that could be improved. And I I hope you can do the same. Like this isn't this isn't a spin zone podcast. You know, we, again, you know, we may not be named the best thing. Lakers exceptionalism. You know compared to the actual analysis we provide because we try to be honest we try to be transparent and when and this helps us be able to acknowledge and celebrate improvement when we see improvement if if you're just spin zoning every game and pretending the team's perfect from the start and ignore any issues then you can't really celebrate the growth you can't celebrate the process or the journey so the team needs to embrace it we've seen the team leaders say that they're going to embrace it and they love that and that's what we love to do here at the lakers exceptionalism podcast or as some know it, the Lakers sex pod. pod. <laughs> All right. Uh, getting to COVID, a more serious topic. Um, I guess I'll say this. Ambiguity in answers leads to more of that spin zoning on both sides of, of the topic. From political figures, from just other personalities from individuals from from mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters from teammates lebron's a big figure i understand that his decision with this and each individual player their decision it only to them may impact them and in their immediate world and the people around them but it's also something that because they're on a public stage even indirectly it is it becomes an example and even if they're not trying to champion something Folks who see them agree 
with their point of view or even there's enough ambiguity where they can spin something to it so it agrees with their point of view will turn these players into champions of their cause whether the, whether the the player wanted that or not so that's just something you hope the guys are aware of um it's i don't know lebron made a comment about how being vaccinated you know to protect you the safety of you and those around you is is the same as making a relocation decision for work and how that's an individual decision was a little disappointing and we we've seen his comments taken and, and used i don't even know if it's quite out of context to to just you know basically say what he's saying and and point that out to a larger audience on behalf of folks not getting vaccinated um for me, I, I, I guess the way I'm looking at this at, at the highest level, and I don't want to dig too deep into this, but if you're doing something to your body that impacts you and nobody else, that's fine. Dude, go ahead. If it's directly impacting those around you from a safety standpoint, then it becomes, you know, for me and how I think about this, it becomes more than just a me discussion. And it has to do with a, a public thing and, and you know, if you have empathy and, and you acknowledge that how you decide with this impacts those around you, you know, that's just something that you need to be aware of. Um, I know people who have lost loved ones from COVID. Um, they're community members to this podcast in our Discord listening to this pod right now who have lost their mother, their father, other relatives that in, in some of them, you know, some of the most important people to them in the world are in the hospital right now battling. I haven't felt that kind of pain in my life, but at least to this point, but I can just tell you that, you know, as a community, we're with you and we'll keep having, you know, these sports and our discussions as an escape and an, and an outlet. But at the end of the day, when you're unlacing those basketball shoes or taking your headphones off, I, I hope we're being smart and keeping ourselves and our loved ones safe. Cause, cause this is real stuff. Um, like friends, people at work, have died in their 30s, 40s, 50s and older. This this is this is real stuff. So just just be smart. So I, I think we'll take a, a quick break and then loop into some quick thumb quick thoughts, quick comments on what we heard after the Lakers first practice. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. 
twice a week, J.J. Reddick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, JJ breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we are back talking. So, so not too long after Lakers Media Day, they had their first team practice. This is a little bit different from what we saw in Vegas with the Lakers. Uh, not at Summer League, but the team's minicamp where this is like, hey, coaches are here. We're, we're installing stuff. We're going to talk about roles and our X's and O's on offense, defense. We're teaching principles. Uh, when I've been involved on teams or coaching with teams, these first practices are just like, hey, here's who we want to be. Here are the non-negotiables. Here's our, you know, and then like digging into like, here's our base defense. Here's our, here are some of the key things we want to get out of our offense. And then you build from there. We heard Frank Vogel echo similar things. They're teaching defensive principles, which I would love for someone to ask a little bit more about. I would love to know how those are changing this year, if they're changing this year. If you can just get a quick like yes, no, or is it going to be closer to 2019-2020 or 2020-2021? That tells us a lot about the Lakers pick and roll defense if we, you know, are just able to think through this and fill in the blanks. So, so some I would love for someone to ask about that. The other key thing that Frank Vogel talked about uh, I guess really the other notable topic was he, I don't have his exact quote in front of me, but he talked about creating a running habit with this Lakers team. And he talked about wanting this team to lead the league in transition offense. And I love that. I think that's smart. I think that's very self-aware. And here's why. This team, depending on how much Anthony Davis plays at the four versus the five, might need it. They might need uh a lot of transition offense, high transition frequency, high efficiency in order to pull up the overall offensive efficiency. And it's also, I think, playing into the strengths of a lot of these guys that they have. Um, transition in general, it's more efficient. It's easier. You've got a numbers advantage or the defense isn't set. It's harder to rotate. It's easier basketball offensively. So if you can do it more, that's good. In the 2019-2020 season, I want to add some context and, and cor- almost correct myself, I guess correct myself for something I said wrong on, or, or I left out some context on a previous pod is that team in the regular season, they had the 11th offensive rating for the full regular season. And I mentioned that and I said, hey, you know, 11th, that's not very good. And this was the year where we had a lot of JaVale and Dwight playing center, clog things up, you know, this needs, you know, that's the, as part of my discussion around Anthony Davis playing the five or having a spacing center. The missing context there is pre-bubble, the team was fourth in offensive efficiency. During the bubble, they were 24th for the regular season. Now, this, that is true. And that has been, and, and, and I want to acknowledge that another layer deeper, deeper from this is that the half-court offense specifically that year, even pre-bubble, wasn't top 10. Overall, as a team, fourth 
offensive efficiency, half court efficiency, not there. The transition game was how that team was able to keep their overall efficiency strong. They got into transition the sixth most of any team from a frequency standpoint. Their efficiency was sixth best, um, both per synergy. And that led to an awesome number of fast break points per game. So if they want to replicate that, and I think anybody, you know, everybody should, if, if you can be efficient there. Uh, and, and especially if they're going to have DeAndre Jordan or Dwight Howard playing alongside AD for long stretches in games where the, the half-court efficiency might be a bit clunky, you want to get out and you want to run. And I think this team has the right guys to run. You've got AD, you've got LeBron, both guys who uh, catching and attacking or finishing or you know starting breaks from rebounds or outlet passes. They, they you know, start to finish, they fit in just about everywhere there. You've got guys like Malik Monk and Kendrick Nunn who in transition can be really effective. Tom did a great video, short video on Twitter about Kendrick Nunn that we talked about on a previous pod where how, just highlighting how good he is off ball as a transition player, catching and shooting, running lanes, running to the rim, and then filling to the three-point line, running to the three-point line, and then and then cutting to the rim. Just an IQ and awareness and an under-control ability to hit shots, uh, even while you know, sprinting, is going to be really important. We talked, I think I talked about this a little bit. I know we talked about this in the film review of Baze Moore uh, with just the Discord. His defensive abilities, his defensive activity, generating turnovers at a high rate are going to directly lead to the team getting out into transition. Russell Westbrook, <laughs> didn't even talk about Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook is going to get this team playing in transition a lot. And while I think that can be really effective and I, I have high hopes, my fingers are crossed, I'm, I guess I'm more cautiously optimistic um, I do want to, you know, pound the table a little bit on what I covered on a previous pod. There's an idea there out there that Russell Westbrook, part of his, you know, transition brilliance is him getting defensive rebounds and then him running and, and that leading to elite offense. This used to be the case for the past, for the past four or five seasons. This has been more of a myth. Uh, his teams off of missed shots. So defensive rebounding and then going with Russ on the court, if we look at how they've compared offensively with him grabbing the board versus anyone else grabbing the board, they've been slightly worse over the past four or five seasons when Russ is grabbing the defensive rebound compared to anyone else. And they're certainly running more. The pace is faster. And this is, you know, you're in transition more. It should be more efficient. This is counting for that. Even with that, big picture, it has not been better offense. It hasn't been substantially worse offense most years, but it's been, eh. That team wasn't the Lakers, and, and that is what you're gonna everybody's gonna say about every new player coming to the Lakers every year forever. Is oh well they're you know they're not us. But it's you know, and and I do wanna say just because it was that way in the past doesn't mean it'll be that way in the future, but I do want to clarify what has happened in the past because Russ used to be this way. It, it, towards the beginning of his career, for years, he, you know, whenever he was getting that board and running the fast break, it was deadly offense. It was just like Death Star, you can't stop us, putting up crazy numbers 130, 140, 120 offensive ratings. Really, really good stuff. The past four or five years, the volume's certainly still been high and even risen a bit because he's forcing more. Um, and, and we certainly see it more because, again, he's forcing more. The volume's high. Uh, but Russell Westbrook individually and then from a team impact standpoint has not had the same degree of impact on the team's success. And he, as an individual scorer, has been way, way less efficient 
um, in transition for a bit. And it's because he's forcing things. He's if, if he can't get to the rim, he's taking a bunch of jumpers and he's not a good jump shooter. And it's it's happening a lot. And now it's really hard to crunch numbers watching film just manually. So I completely understand how him, you, you know, previously being really good at this and the volume being very high still, can, you know, has people continuing to believe this is a huge pro that he's going to bring to the team or, or he has to previous teams. We want to pump the brakes a little bit. And you can't just say, you know, do what you do, which is something we heard a lot of guys at Media Day talk about is let Russ be Russ. In certain areas, yes. But we, I, I truly believe we need Russ to be a little bit smarter with transition and know when not to force shots up in order to make him rebounding and running be as good as it's made out to be by the team, by the, by the team's media, by a lot of folks on Twitter. We need a little bit of a tweak here. I think it can be very good. And again, just because it wasn't good the past couple of years doesn't doesn't mean it can't be good. I don't want that be, to be misconstrued. But we need to honestly look at what has happened the past few years. And if Russ is rebounding and he's running and he's forcing up these, these like pull-up 14-foot jump shots with 19 seconds left on the shot clock and he's bricking them, that is not going to make any of us happy. It's going to come with the the passing and the playmaking and the assists just because he's in there a lot and he has great vision and he is a very good playmaker. We want to find a happy middle ground where he's helping the team as a whole be really good in transition when he's grabbing the board, when he's out there, and do so by just making smarter decisions on when to shoot versus when to pass and when to just pull it back out and take advantage of the fact that you've got a lot of really good weapons out there. So we're going to see a ton of highlights. We're going to be amped. We're going to see some great games where he's like six for six in transition with like six assists or something like that. We're going to see some great, great performances. We're going to see some clunkers. And big picture, it's going to be about the team finding just that little tweak to find that happy medium because he has a bunch of great transition weapons around him, much more so than he has in the past for the past few years. So this can be really good. And if the Lakers can get Russ to just slightly tweak that transition game and we can see them return to that Death Star transition offense like he's run in previous years, that is going to help. That is going to be a big piece of what helps this Lakers team be as good as they can be offensively. And another part of what helps that is the defense getting stops. It's hard to run after made shots. It's much easier to run after steals or blocks or rebounds. So playing good defense directly feeds into this and will be a really key thing. So that's important. That's how I'm looking at things with Russ. Uh, again, if you've got like Russ plus a non-shooting center plus AD out there in the half court, you're going to have some clunky, you know, it's going to be hard at times, just like it was in 2019, 2020, even pre-bubble. So running habits, I like it. I, I, I think it's a smart, astute you know, it's somewhat common sense, but it also, in a smart way, helps work around some of what could potentially hold this team down, and that's that half-court offense. So I like it. I'm looking forward to it. Running habits, another thing to mention, are a team thing. So as much as we can say, it, whether it's offense or defense or transition, we can point out a five-man group that we feel really good about, but it's going to be about a 10- or 11-man rotation that we need to feel good about. And when we look at who's on the roster, there's certainly some, you know, guys you point out and, and I have pointed out and I feel good about. Big picture, 
if we're if the goal is to run more and run effectively, let's take a look at the pace impact estimate stat that we use at B-Ball Index, calculated by 538, looking at players' offensive and defensive contributions in terms of helping the team get out and run more, and turnover generation on the defensive end, things like that, that we know help teams run more. If we look at the season's roster, just from a letter grade standpoint, Russ has an A, there are six guys with Bs, Monk, Bazemore, THT, LeBron, Dwight, and AD, four guys with Cs, Ellington, Ariza, Rondo, and Nunn, DeAndre Jordan has a D, Carmelo Anthony has an F. So Mello, the way I'd interpret this is a, Russ has an A. When he's out there, his team's playing at a faster pace. Carmelo Anthony at an F. When he's out there, the team's playing at a so, slower pace. Same with DeAndre Jordan. Ellington, Ariza, Rondo, none. They're in that C range. You know, they're, they're not really swaying things one way or another. They're just kind of along for the ride. Let's compare that with last season where the team had two A's instead of one A. Six Bs, they have six Bs this year. Three Cs instead of four Cs this year. Two Ds, no Fs compared to one D, one F this year among the 11 guys who played 750 or more minutes last season. So that's a pretty similar breakdown. They don't have the same caliber of like top level dude like Russ, uh, who, you know, is uh, there's certainly a range within that A grade and he's on the higher end of that range. So I do think he's going to help pull this along a bit. But big picture, it's not like the team just every player they added is someone who's going to be out there running and every player they got rid of is somebody who isn't running. So we'll see just how much the team is able to raise the volume and efficiency of their transition game, but that is going to be a key thing for them this year. When it comes to the bigs, I think the team's actually taking a step back. Um, and, and I mean, part of this is going to be how much AD plays center because if he's out there at center and Dwight and DeAndre Jordan aren't out there, yeah, you're taking a step forward. But uh just looking at this pace impact estimate, Gasol was a B. He was he was half a percentile point away from being an A grade. Drummond was an A. And we're going from that to DeAndre Jordan, who is a D. Dwight's a B. Um, a little bit lower than, well, a good bit lower than Mark. And it's certainly a different style. Like Dwight and DeAndre, you think of as more like rim runner kinds of guys. Uh, Drummond was certainly speedy, but not a great finisher. Uh, not as much, I mean, not a great lob threat. I don't know that DeAndre is an excellent lob threat at this point as as he was compared to how what he used to be. Dwight is still a lob threat. Gasol, not at all lob threat, not a great rim threat, but he was that trailer three-point shooter um, that helped space the floor and, and wasn't bringing extra bodies into the paint. Um, I mean, he shot like, what, 30, 40? I'm sorry, not 30. He shot in the 40s on his threes this past season. So that adds value and his ability to outlet the ball is a big part of why his uh, pace impact estimate is high. And that is that outletting ability is something we're seeing a step down from, from last year to this year, I think with the roster overall, but big picture, I, I still think this team's in a good spot to run more, run effectively. And hopefully that helps carry the offense a bit, even as the team is still figuring things out from a half court standpoint. Now, if AD is playing center a bunch, 70% of the time, I feel much better about the half-court offense, and I think big picture the Lakers have an even higher offensive ceiling. But uh, depending on how the transition game goes and how much percentage, how, what percentage of the time AD is playing at center, my range of outcomes for what the Lakers offense could be certainly sways. So got to run, get those defensive principles in. We're seeing the Lakers do those right things with that first practice. We, we heard them talk about Russ looking like a blur out there. That's all good stuff. We love to hear it. We'll see and, and monitor how things are going. We've got uh, some preseason games coming up. First game's on Sunday. 
So uh, if you, you know, we'll be there on Twitter. I, I'm going to do a little bit less on Twitter during games, a little bit more in the Discord during games this year. And we're figuring out our game plan for, like, game day, previewing that opponent within the Discord and, and you know, leveraging some of the tools we have at People Index, posting some X's and O's thoughts and saying, hey, here are the nets, here's what they do, here's who the guys they have. And, and then pregame, going over the keys to the game. And, uh, you know, voting on who we think is going to win, voting on how we think the spread's going to go during the game, really digging into what's happening, probably at halftime, doing a quick audio chat and, and catching up. And then after the game, voting on our player of the game and sharing stats and takeaways and either celebrating or venting together. So we're trying to make that Discord experience just truly an elevating experience as a Laker fan. So come over there, join us. You can get into that by going to patreon.com slash cranches and subscribing to our Patreon if you want to support us financially. If you just want to support the pod, go ahead and give us a five-star review on Apple Apple Podcasts or iTunes and screenshot that and send that to me. We'll get you into the Discord. And, uh, you know, we're, we're looking to have a lot of fun this year. So until then, I've been Cranch McBasketball, and the, this is the Lakers Sex Podcast, or the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. See ya. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.